Hello, and welcome to the Gifted Ed Podcast. We are your hosts, Angel Van Howe, Gifted Coordinator and SEL Facilitator, and Megan McCarthy, Social Worker. We are grateful for the opportunity to share this space with you today as we talk about the complexities of giftedness. So let's get started. We wanted to welcome you to part one of our Executive Functioning mini-series. By the end of this episode, you will have a better understanding of attention, impulse control, task initiation, task persistence, and self-monitoring, and how they present in gifted students. We want to introduce our listeners today to Robin Spiesman and Katherine Wilkie. Katie Wilkie is the owner of Imagination Therapy, PLLC, a speech-language pathology and executive function coaching business, utilizing both bottom-up and top-down interventions. What's happening inside? What self-talk do you give yourself? What thoughts are you having? Are you able to even label and notice those feelings, those moments? And for a lot of kids who struggle with executive function, if you don't have the language, I believe these things are anchored in our ability to describe them. Imagination therapy approaches executive function needs through a brain-based approach with the understanding that an individualized and tailored plan can target personal strengths and weaknesses. Robin Spiesman has worked as a neuropsychometrician, executive function coach, and clinical intake coordinator. The parents are always in my first executive function session, and I always I say, your parents, we all have to use our executive functions when we're doing things, like even doing the laundry. Well, I throw it in the washer and I have good intentions, but then I have to cook dinner and then I have to help with homework and then, and then like, I'm going to sleep and I realize the laundry is still in the washing machine. She continues to provide school observations and executive function coaching to patients with ADHD, autism, giftedness, anxiety, learning and educational struggles, and other neurodivergent diagnoses to pediatric patients ages 6 to 22. So today we are going to define and discuss the components of executive functioning and how it presents with our gifted community. So we know that EF is a very comprehensive topic. And we also want to mention that each of you are coming from different disciplines, right? And and Katie, I believe it's, it's speech pathology, correct? Correct. And Robin, it's uh, neuropsychs. Yes. So we think that that would influence different descriptions, right? So we just want to keep that in mind as we proceed. So to begin with... Can you just give us an overarching definition of what executive functioning is? Sure. Um, there's so many definitions out there, but I would say one of the most common ones would be that they're cognitive processes that help us guide our behavior. And executive functions help us regulate our emotions, our behaviors, and our cognition, you know, which is our thinking. And so and when, when someone comes into my office, I do see a lot of gifted students in my office. When they come into my office, I usually ask the child, like, what does executive functioning mean to you mm-hmm. to kind of get an idea? And most of the time, they say it's, well, time management and organization. They have kind of that surface level definition. Right, right. So what I do is to try to help them understand executive functioning, because it is difficult to kind of, it's not concrete enough to explain, right. is I put a list of executive function skills. So decision making, problem solving, prioritizing, time management. And then I have that in front of the student and I'll say, let's start off by talking about what happens in the morning when you get up. What is the first decision you have to make? And, you know, they usually say, well, I have to decide if I have to get out of bed. Right. And they'll say, I have to decide what to wear. And then they might go into, um, you know, deciding if I have to eat breakfast. And as we talk about those things, it ends up being a very long conversation because mm-hmm. the parents are in the room and it's like, 
it depends on their regulation of their affect. Like if they are having anxiety about going to school because they have an exam, that determines what they can get up. And, you know, and kind of leading into discussions about, well, do you ever look outside and see the weather to decide what to wear? You know, so just kind of taking that into like a deeper conversation. And usually by the end of the conversation, they really have a good understanding. What well, you're helping them see yeah. the connections. The connection, yes. yeah. When I talk to clients, obviously being a speech pathologist, I care a lot about the words that we use to describe it. And when, uh, similar to Robin, I have the conversation with the kid. I think that everyone can have a conversation with kids, no matter how old they are, because it, it gives you an idea of where they're at. And if I say to them, executive function, do you recognize those words? Mm -hmm. What does executive mean? Uh, a lot of them may or may not know, but the most common is that they recognize it means the boss. Yeah. And so the executive yeah. is the boss and the boss makes the decisions and the boss decides what the goals are right. and the boss will decide how things are done and when they're done. And then function means to work, to have something working or functioning. And so it's the way that we can work and the way that our brain is the boss of us is kind of mm -hmm. the, the short version. Mm -hmm. So that has to do with, as Robin had said, the way your brain works for paying attention or making decisions, or as you guys pointed out, integrating past, present, and future to understand mm -hmm. and predict what's coming next. Where have I been? Where am I going? Well said. I love that, yeah. yeah. And I think the one thing I heard from both is it really can start at any age. Like as long as they're verbal and having conversations, you can break it down. Well, so long story short, you can break it down. I like to think of it as the same way we think of pre-literacy. Executive functions, there's an increasing body of research right now about the development of executive function. It's kind of new. Mm -hmm. um, but the same way you'll read aloud to a two-year-old or a baby, and we know from research that that helps them develop literacy goals and success in future academics, your executive function continues to develop until at least the age of 25 is what people think. And it really picks up speed somewhere around the ages of 12, there's there's a bunch of landmarks. Around six is when you start getting your social perspective taking, things like that. Mm -hmm. But to preload that language, that knowledge and information is beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, the thought that they might have it or understand it or relate yeah. to it just yet may or may not be, but it doesn't mean it's not worth having the conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. Something I was thinking about when you were listing off some of those, which we'll get into more in a moment, it's just how one impacts the other. Yeah, right? absolutely. So how time management impacts, um, you know, maybe your self-monitoring and, and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to find out more about that. It's a, a tangle. So now that we kind of have a, a groundwork of how we're approaching what executive functioning is, obviously there's different ways to look at it. But for our purposes, we're going to look th or kind of discuss through and talk through nine different components of executive functioning. And those nine different components are attention impulse control, task initiation, task persistence, self-monitoring, shifting or flexibility, social awareness or perspective taking, organization, and finally, time management or planning. So let's talk through those nine components and if we can kind of share some examples or like a basic understanding of, of how we want to discuss each one, I think that'd be helpful. So if we start with attention, can you kind of talk through how you would define attention and some examples of, of that within executive functioning? Sure. So attention to me, the way that I, I like to start 
talking about it is uh, that there are four types of attention. Um, and I kind of think of them almost developmentally or the way that we would introduce them in a school setting, actually. So the first type of attention being a selective attention or focused attention, the ability to choose a target among all the other targets. Uh, that has to do largely with what we would think of with attention deficits, that people say, just focus, look up here, eyes on me. Uh, the ability to do that relies on the cognitive ability of inhibition or mm -hmm. the ability to ignore the unimportant things. So, of course, like you said, we're going to get into a lot of right. interwoven <laughs> things like well, it makes sense. <clears throat> impulsivity, yeah. prioritization. Um, but that's the that's sort of the first level. You can imagine kindergarten, first grade, second grade, we're talking about focusing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. The second type of attention I, I think of is uh, sustained attention. And that's the ability to hold your focus on something for a lengthier amount of time. So if you can imagine in third and fourth grade, we might have students paying attention to longer lectures. We might have them needing to do their homework for 30 minutes instead of a quick activity. Um, then we get into the older grades, maybe fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, mm -hmm. and onward, where they have to alternate their attention. So that is going to sound really complicated in that you have to pick two important focuses and shift between both of them, thinking of how long you have to focus on each one. So imagine a student, for example, is taking notes from a board. They have to look up at the board, look down at their paper, listen to the teacher, mm -hmm. and maybe pay attention to something in front of them on the desk. And then lastly is a type of attention that's really hard to do, and it's called divided attention, and it has to do with sustaining attention to two things at the same time. I like to think of this one as you kind of need to automate one of them. Right. Um, driving is an example of having a lot of divided attention. You really have to focus continually on all those things. I kind of wonder if it isn't more of a rapid alternating, like a really efficient yeah. alternating yeah. attention, yeah. but it's it's listed in a lot of the discussion on attention. It's so helpful to have you explain that mm -hmm. progression through time. And I think it just gives so much more um, awareness instead of saying pay attention, right? Which how many times do we give that directive or hear that directive where if we know what type of attention we're asking, we can be much more specific with our ask and also scaffolding to to that task. To the developmental big. level of the student. So the next component we can talk through is impulse control. Can Robin, can you kind of share some thoughts on that? So when I work with students who, who have impulse control issues, we talk a lot about being able to stop and think before they act. Mm -hmm. And the executive function component of that, which is kind of the third one I didn't mention, is to be able to stop and think and make a good choice before you act. Mm -hmm. And with these kids, it could be something as simple as, like, they want to be perfect in their work, right? Mm -hmm. So they, like, rush through a test because they want to be able to hand it in th first right. or something like that. So they are in a rush. They go put the paper and hand it in, and they didn't stop and check for maybe careless errors. Or maybe they want the teacher to know how much information they know, and the teacher will ask a question, and they'll raise their hand, but they'll yell it out while their hand is up because they don't <laughs> have the ability to kind of right. inhibit and stop and wait. So those are a couple of examples of and I think that would control. definitely ring true with our gifted Population yeah, for sure. See a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next one being task initiation. 
So in order to initiate a task, you have to kind of, as Robin just pointed out, they sort of blend into each other. You have to know what's coming next. You have to be able to make the decision. Uh, the biggest issues that I know I see with task initiation is not knowing what the first step is, so not mm-hmm. being able to break a task into smaller steps, or um, actually not being able to initiate what I call the urgency So if somebody feels like, well, I've got lots of time, or I'd rather do this other thing, they can't pass the threshold. So a lot of times we think of anxiety Mm -hmm. as an inhibiting problematic process, but anxiety is actually also what prompts us to get going. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we have too much anxiety, we might shut down if we have the wrong type of anxiety. I just want to add, too, um, in relation to the urgency factor, like providing a rational understanding for that urgency, especially with our gifted population, can go so far. Just understanding, well, why do I have to pause this? Why do I have to pivot? Absolutely. I think that that's another one of those little moments where we, we think, well, this kid won't understand. But they do, or at least they like knowing the reason why they might not understand it, but they go, oh, well, at least there's a good reason. Yeah, I agree. And some people, I think, mistake task initiation for procrastination. And this is more like of a cognitive issue. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, well, procrastination is, I mean, there's the, all those different techniques out there, the (laughs) Pomodoro and all these other ideas, Mm -hmm. because it's the one that people want to solve. Even non-dysfunctional, totally normal adults who I think they've solved it, still procrastinate. And we go, gosh, why am I doing that? And, you know. But what you were saying, Katie, before about like someone knowing how to start, like having everything they need to get started, being able to use their working memory and think back to the class that morning, like when they're doing their homework at home and think like, what do we do in class today? And how does this relate to what I need to do for my homework? And some kids who are gifted have gap skills, which I know you were going to talk about. And so they... Um, they might have a weakness in working memory or relative weakness in working memory or processing speed and things so that it is a little more difficult when they get home to get started Mm -hmm. on their homework Mm -hmm. because they have to really work on learning the skills to picture what happened in class and and have all that information, you know, in front of them. Right. No, I agree with you. And then with task initiation, then comes task persistence. So for task persistence, I equate this to really the goal-directed persistence is what we call it. And it's really the ability to get started, to persist through a goal, and then have a finished product at the end. And while you're persisting through this goal, to be able to monitor yourself, to check for errors, to make sure that you're using your judgment and really watching the time. So teaching someone maybe um, how to monitor themselves during a test, you know, like how do I... Um, if there's if I have 20 minutes to do this test and there's 10 problems, how much time should I spend on each one to monitor myself so that I can persist through this and check for errors and monitor myself to have a finished product at the end? Do you see a challenge with students being able to see the boundary of where one step ends and another begins? Oh, yes. And I think that um, especially for, I would say, again, to sort of direct towards the gifted population, there's uh, a lot of times we talk about things like, and I'm going to throw out some a word here, but gestalt processing, mm-hmm, which means mm-hmm. seeing things as a huge chunk and not being able to understand the parts of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes that asynchronous development uh, has to do with difficulty with introspecting or difficulty regulating ourselves. If you can't feel 
a boundary. If you don't right. know where yeah. one thing ends and another begins, if you don't know how long time feels, mm-hmm. you're certainly not going to know that, oh, this is one small step and I can do this and then be done until maybe I do the next step yeah, later. how do you transition? Right. right. Well, yeah. so then as I was going to say, while Robin was talking in here, <laughs> right. you can look through the list we gave, time management, organization, shifting and flexibility, self-monitoring, to persist through a task takes all these pieces mm-hmm. and it's, you think, well, it's just, I don't know, keep going. Just march right. on. Well, uh, we take it for granted and it's actually a really difficult huh, yeah. task. And I would say probably the biggest piece um, I mean, what do we all do? We build in breaks. Kids don't know how to build yeah. in breaks. And I use when the the parents are always in my first session when I do the first executive function session. And I always, I say, your parents, we all have to use our executive functions when we're doing things. Like even doing the laundry takes goal-directed persistence. Yes. <laughs> and the mom's like, guilty, you know, because, the, you know, the moms are like, well, I throw it in the dryer and I have a washer and I have good intentions, but then I have to cook dinner and then I have to help with homework. And then, and then like I'm going to sleep and I realize the laundry is still in the washing machine. So guilty then we talk mm-hmm. about, yeah. well, what, what, what's some strategies you can use? And I'm trying to help the parent to show the child, like we all make mistakes or we all need a little bit of help. Yeah. So then we talk about using a timer to set, and then, Hey, maybe that might work for you when you're trying to do your homework, mm-hmm. you know, and, and these kids like really respect their parents. And a lot of these parents are gifted, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it makes them feel, I think, a little more real in that we all suffer Absolutely. from executive function issues. So, And I know it sounds minor, but I'll often hear it when I talk with parents or I talk with the students themselves or the teachers is, I did the homework. And the parents are like, yeah, I saw it. Where is it? Well, it's at home. Like that final step of turning it yep. in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Would we put that when we break through the steps within task persistence? Because I'll even see that at home with my own kids. They mm-hmm. did the homework. It's on the folder or in the folder on the dining room table. And I said, your homework's not done until it's in the backpack in your cubby ready to go. Yep. Like where? Because I feel like that piece often just doesn't get classified as executive functioning. It's just like, well, they're just forgetful. And again, it's all of these overlapping because it does involve everything. You have to right? pay attention to where you're putting your yes. your things. You have to use good impulse control yeah. to, to take the time and stop and use this deferred gratification to get everything ready, even when you're tired or you want to go game or yeah. whatever they do. And then, you know, it takes time to do this. You have to plan. Yeah. I call it the lottery syndrome. I say to the kids, <laughs> I'm like, if you have the all the winning numbers on yeah, your lottery ticket and you have it in your hand are you going to get the money if you don't hand it in yeah mm. and yeah. they're like oh no well and yes. i also wonder too if it's like a literal interpretation of uh, what that task is yes so if the task is to just do my homework i did my homework yeah. right well you know, and this is another task to go and bring it to wherever i have to bring it to that was i was going to say it's the words that we're using yeah i did my homework do your homework my homework's done but are we including packaging it away as part of doing homework? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that, to to answer your question, Megan, I think that some of that's impulse control. Done with yeah. my homework, now I get a break, bye. Yep. Or <laughs> the um, if you want to go into time, yeah, time management <laughs> planning phase of it, yeah. where is it part of the plan? Robin had said goal-directed, goal-oriented. Part it the goal has to be really explicit, and for a lot of these kids, especially, I would say gifted populations, some of the more neurodivergence, um, I mean, and gifted populations can overlap pretty significantly. Comorbidities with ADHD, autism, yeah. things like that. So we're, right. we've got a lot of stuff coming into play with with these groups. But that if you don't have a concept of the future, and you do your homework, do you even associate this with? 
turning it in. Right. What does that mean to the kid? What's the motivational value of turning in homework? All it is is putting it in a box. They don't, especially in younger years, maybe third, fourth grade, they don't understand grades really fully yet. Mm -hmm. They haven't had significant how many points is this worth right. to get an A, right. do A's yeah. matter? So this piece of paper doesn't have value. So to persist through something, we have to value it. Yeah. And I guess motivated. maybe just bringing attention that that is a step to be included. It's not an obvious thing that will just happen. Right. <laughs> without discussion. So maybe that's even. They call that the hidden it. curriculum. Yeah. There are all these pieces of a school life that we don't tell people, but we just assume they'll figure out. And actually, it's not intuitive. Yeah. There's nothing else in life that's like that. Well, I mean, there is later. But. <laughs> right. And I feel like gifted kids sometimes are very literal. So when you're mm -hmm. saying to them, like when I'm meeting with them and I'm saying, okay, let's let's go through everything. Let's see what kind of homework you have. And they're like, well, I don't have any homework in that class. And I literally had to, I have to write like all the words on the top of the part of the list where it's, do you have any homework? Do you have any studying? Do you have a test coming up? Do you have a project? Do you have any yeah. reading? And then it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, th that's homework. It's things right. you do at home to prepare you for school. Yeah the next day. So right. really Word language. Is crucial. <laughs> and then I also yeah. notice that when you do have all those listed, one thing comes out, it's almost like a floodgate opens and then everything's kind of hidden behind this, you know, wall. And then it's like, oh, wait, and I have a test in that class too. Oh, and then I have this. Mm -hmm. So it really helps them to learn how to kind of um, have a discussion about what's due right. so that they can, you know, to help like you had said, Katie, with the big picture, like I, these kids do really well with the visual. Like, what is this big picture going to look like when you're done? How will you know it's done? Hmm. So if we move on to the next component of self-monitoring, how, how should we approach self-monitoring within this context? Well, it, so I think of it through uh, the speech-language pathology lens again, and I think of the uh, social awareness perspective taking. I know that's later down the road, but in order to know if I said to any anybody, any adult, how do you know that you're tired? What does it feel like? Can you describe what tired feels like? How do you know you're distracted? What does it feel like? These are not tangible. They're not even, and I can't make you feel tired and then go, aha, there it is. You're bored with this. That's what bored feels. It, well, and in the clinic, that is what I try to do. I try to facilitate bored and say, this is what bored feels like. <laughs> oh, I notice you're not paying attention. That's what it feels like to be distracted. Or I'll tell uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll tell uh, one of my clients, I'll say, don't touch your nose. And they'll think it's silly, but then they'll go, oh my God, I can't stop thinking about touching my nose now. And I say, <laughs> I know, isn't it interesting? So self-monitoring is what's happening inside. What self-talk do you give yourself? What thoughts are you having? Are you able to even label and notice those feelings, those moments? And for a lot of kids who struggle with executive function, kids and adults, I keep saying kids, but it's yeah. all of us. Um, if you don't have the language, I believe these things are anchored in our ability to describe them. Mm -hmm. We have tangibility through the vocabulary and through the words. So if they haven't been taught the difference of sad and bored and disappointed, all they have is sad. If they don't have a difference of being distracted or failing, well, my goodness, then they think, well, I'm just failing. I mean, and then we get into bigger emotional things. But self-monitoring 
has to do with how do I know I'm on track? How do I know I'm following the goal? Mm -hmm. How do I know that I'm successful or correct or wrong? And it has to do with what, what words we're choosing. So as we've mentioned before, it has to be included explicitly in the goals that we write. Mm-hmm. They have to know where they're going. Um, there's a researcher, uh, a clinician, Sarah Ward. She's a speech pathologist that is mm-hmm. specialized in executive function forever. And her process is called get ready, do, done. Mm-hmm. And it means you start at the end so that they know where they're going. Then you work backwards through the planning process, Uh and then you proceed forward again so that they've already been there. They already know where they're going, or they should. Yeah. It's so hard to separate these two because all I kept hearing was self-awareness. Yes. Right? Which is Uh part of social awareness, too. But the self-awareness that's required for the self-monitoring piece is is huge. This concludes part one of our executive functioning mini-series. What we've gathered thus far from Robin and Katie is that each of these executive functioning components impacts each other and should be viewed in an integrated way. We'd like to offer you some reflection questions. Think about your students' EF challenges and explore how you have formally instructed executive functioning strategies in your classroom. Have there been any times when you noticed a discrepancy between their EF level and their gifted potential? How did you respond to that situation? What would you do differently? And after taking all this in, we have something that we would like you to try. So based on our conversation today, what is one way that you can support executive functioning within your classroom? We want to thank you for joining us in this space today. Please subscribe to the Gifted Ed podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Stay tuned for our next episode that continues to unpack the complexities of giftedness.